I hope everyone's doing okay. If not, <clears throat> well, uh, fix it. <laughs> We're not doing self-care anymore. We're now doing blame others. We're going right back to that system. No more self-care. No more responsibility on yourself. Everybody needs to be okay with everything right fucking now. That's, uh, that's, you know, the old system. It works out pretty good. It's the old comic. I think it was a far side. It's two cavemen throwing a third caveman off a cliff into a certain death. And the caption says, Anybody else feel their needs aren't being met? <laughs> I am, uh, uh, I am in horrible, horrible, horrible shape, uh, right now. Not in general, just at this moment. I'm in horrible shape, and I'm like, is this what it feels like? Is this what it feels like all the time? Because I... 1,000% abused myself this week. Now, let me, let me, before I go forward, straying that, I had a really good time doing it. I earned it. I enjoyed it. I'm here. I, I'm doing my work. People are happy with me uh, and all that. But that being said, I, I Icarused. I went too far. I, 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 I just, I kept... I kept waking up the next day being all like, well, come on, it's just one more day of playing this game, drinking beer and, and eating shitty food. <laughs> You'll be fine. Come on, you're almost done with it, probably. And I just, I just kept going with it, though. The game doesn't stop. It just... You know, somebody lied to me. Like, somebody was, like, really cruel. And when they said, hey, man... You should plan on this being around 30, maybe 40 hours. Like, I took that to heart. I believed them. I really did. I was like, okay, sure, you don't lie to me. You're a professional developer. We've had a relationship for years now. And, like, I just, let me just, like, you know, let me just tell you the story about what I did today, saying to, your, saying to myself, Jack, you can't possibly squeeze some Elden Ring in today. Like, that's not how it works. You can't possibly do that. And so, as I do every single time when I log into the game, I look around like, where the fuck am I? What the fuck am I doing again? Jesus Christ, this game's so big. Where the f- what? And I have to, like, vaguely recall, okay, that's right, that's right, okay. So, in the last hour I was playing, I was pretty deep in the cups! Because I get to save George R- one, one huge advantage to playing this game is I get to say George R. R. Martin lines left and right. And, like, I obsessed over that dude's Song of Ice and Fire forever. And so whenever, like, you know, whenever I get to make a fucking Song of Ice and Fire reference, oh, you better believe that I goddamn am. Do you, Do you understand how many times I have sung the bear and the maiden fair to myself? Uh, Casterly... Uh, the rain's on Casterly Rock, absolutely, when I went through one ruin and it was raining there. Come on! How you not gonna do it? Oh, none of you nerds even know what I'm talking about. So, like, I got totally, 
totally involved with this game, and I'm making my George R. R. Martin quotes. I'm getting drunk as hell. I'm trying to remember where I am. Be like, <sighs> okay, so I was getting tag teamed by the two fat fucking trolls in that cave. But which cave was it? Because all of them were pissing me off. But I finished some of them. And I'm just like trying to like come into like an understanding and a general plan. And basically my game loop goes a little something like this. I, I wake up. Uh, I say to myself, I'm going to get other stuff done. I mostly do. I slowly slip away from Discord and all <laughs> electronic uh, frontiers that anybody can be reached on. Slip away from all of them one by one. Tiptoeing away. Got to be careful. Slip into Elden Ring. Remember what the fuck was pissing me off about the last hour or so before I stopped playing. Saying like, yeah, all right, I'll try that again. And then not doing it. And then immediately going to my, my game loop of like, okay, so what I want to do is find a cave. Because there's a one in three chance if I find a cave, my power level is going to go up. And that's what makes my pee-pee hard, apparently. So, uh, you know, but f fuck what I was doing last night. Let's find another fucking cave. And then, you know, just going around on crazy misadventures, uh, trying to get to and from caves and, and everything that happened. I'm going to do a mild spoiler. Everything I've said about this game is so nonsense, I know. But at one, at certain points, the game actually is like, oh, you should actually do this. Most of the game, the game doesn't give a fuck about. It's fantastic. It's like a, it's like a, a really, really high, young Italian tour guide. He does not, he's already got your money for the day. He has no investment whatsoever in if you learn anything about it or not. So if you're like, hey, I, I don't care about the Tower of Pisa. It's like, I don't care about the fucking Tower of Pisa either. Where do you want to go? I don't give a shit. You want, you want to go, you want to go, go hit up a deli? Like, you know, the game just doesn't give a shit what you're doing. It's like my parents when I was young. There was no questions involved. As long as I was entertaining myself and not bothering them, they were fine with it. So, so like... You know, I have to say that there's mild spoilers in this next in this next little part. They keep talking about how everybody's like the stars and the moon and all that. And I'm like, you know, I'm quoting the Khaleesi and Jason Momoa lines every time and rolling my eyes because I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And like, I get to this one witch and I just need to say these games are Japanese and I do refer to the developers as senpai uh, beating my ass down like it's a BDSM session. I say, thank you, senpai. Thank you, Senpai, for tanning my ass. So there is always a kind of a Japanese thinking in the back of my, my head. And so I, at one point in the game, run across this lady who names herself like the moon, like Daloon or some shit. And like, she's a giant Japanese looking witch, like in a crazy flowing outfit, like in an Edith head kind of outfit, like you know, a dress that's three times as much fabric as woman kind of outfit with, like, ornate cowls. Not a cowl. Not one motherfucking cowl. But cowls. C-O-W-L-S's. Like, how many cowls does a woman... Like, how cold is your neck and head, lady? That you have cowls. And she's like, incredibly, give me more. She's got... You can see several cowls. There might be more under there. So, like, she's Japanese, and she's wearing this giant flowing dress, and she's a witch. 
So in the back of my head, something's playing, and I don't really understand. I don't, I'm like, what? I don't, there's a reference here, and I don't get it. And she's a boss fight. So we go through the boss fight, we're going through it, and then all of a sudden, I'm just going to say it, because I said the word out loud, I was in such a surprise. That bitch teleported me to the moon. Now, in all fairness, she teleported us both to the moon. So, like, that's, you know, that's fair. But I was like, bitch, teleported me to the moon. And I was, like, kind of furious. And I, she, in her travel to the moon, she lost a lot of weight. I was the same as I was before, so I don't understand the miracle diet. But she, she's a little bit more svelte on the moon. And now she's kind of, like, dancing around on the moon. So there's, like a, like, a big Japanese witch kind of sveltely dancing on the moon. And immediately, like, I whip out my two-handed fucking weapon, and I, I know exactly the song I'm going to sing as I hammer her into the fucking face. I go, 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 Power Rangers! Da, 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 da. Go, go, Power Rangers! Because, I mean, if you're going to talk about a Japanese moon witch that's causing all kinds of fucking problems, it's got to be Rita Repulsa. There's only one character in all of my in all of my knowing of lore that fits all of those checkboxes. Japanese moon witch causing trouble and summoning things. Rita Repulsa. There's nobody else. There's only one suspect on my shortlist, baby. So, like, that's the like, you know, just just imagine me like, you know, drumping drunkenly drunkenly because I was pretty far into that day when I got to that boss fight. Going just like, why am I on the moon, bitch? And then singing Power Rangers. And then after you, sometime after that, from the other room, you hear like, yeah, yeah. And then just a big old chili fart. Just a huge green chili fart. And that's all you would hear from the next room. And the mere week before, you were thinking, if you were my woman, if you were my wife, if you were my partner in this world, if you were even just my roommate or friend. You were thinking, wow, just last week this guy was exercising every day and he was talking about, you know, going in there and into the word mines every day. And, you know, he, he literally celebrated not ordering anything in for months and months. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say is video games are actually bad for you, and I've changed my stance. So I'm now with the Christian theologians. They're a bad influence. It actually is all Grand Theft Auto's problem. Otherwise, nobody would be shooting up anything. I now believe it all. I've been tainted. I mean, all jokes aside, I, I appreciate that a lot of you are just listening to a guy talk about video games and shit, but it's the most fun thing that I've experienced in a long time. And I just, I didn't expect it. It keeps unfolding. It keeps being more fun. Uh, the only thing I can compare it to at this point is Skyrim, a game that came out over a decade ago. I haven't had this much fun since I played fucking Skyrim and had the exact same feeling of, hey, look, a cave. And then 90 minutes later, just looking around like, do I need to shave? Do I need to call somebody? How long have I, what the, f where was I just now? You know that feeling you get when you, when you realize that you've driven home? Not that you're driving home, but that, like, oh, this is my street. I've now driven home. I don't recall any of it. There could have been, 
explosions, I couldn't tell you, gun to my head, that feeling, but it's kind of scary. There's a little bit of like, oh shit, I did it. Especially if you like, you know, you don't want to do it and then you do it again. You're like, oh no, I've engaged autopilot twice this week. Oh no, it's kind of a bad feeling. It's the exact opposite with this game where I'll have no idea if going into a fucking cave is three minutes long or three hours long. And if it's the second, I'll come out and I'll be like, did I really just spend three hours not worrying about anything? I mean, worrying about gremlins coming out the goddamn earth, sure. But besides that, did I really not worry about anything? Oh, it's the exact opposite. You're like, oh, wow. I was kind of conscious for some of that, too. <sighs> so that's what, I, that's what I did this week. Uh, and I, I'm just proud to say, like, you can hear it in my voice and you can hear it in my attitude and everything else. After abusing the shit out of my body, <laughs> fast food and booze, sitting around playing video games and not doing anything good for me whatsoever for like four days straight. After that, I gotta say, uh, everything's still kind of okay. I can sleep. You can hear it in my voice. Uh, it's the last cold day. We got a promise. <laughs> Cross your fingers of the year, pretty sure. Uh, definitely the last cold Friday night it's got to be. And it just, it, you know, feels pretty good. It feels pretty solid. So that was me. That was my week. It's a long fucking game. I'm playing the shit out of it, getting my work done, trying to make women happy besides. I uh, look at the news. I try and find something fun in it for you all. <laughs> when I was first learning about Buddhism, one of the first stories I learned was about children getting their fingers crushed. Hold on, it's even worse than you think. <laughs> one of the first studies of Buddhism uh, that I went into was called the Diamond Cutter. Uh, and at one point, the author talks about a jewelry market. Uh, it's no longer in function like he describes it. And really, it wasn't even when he was writing about it. He was talking about the way that it mostly worked in, in the middle uh, of the 1900s. But essentially, it was a jewelry market where people were uh, fairly frequently measuring bags of gold. And they were measuring bags of gold dust. The gold mines uh, around did not produce the big nuggets that American media likes to show and produce in our collective culture, but the much more common gold flake and gold dust. So gold would be measured out in bags and then traded for other jewelries, gold, and services at this counting house, jewelry house. Well, there's a lot of flecks of gold around, then flecks of gold are going to be dropped. And eventually, begging children figured out if they stayed on the floor, crouching in the dirt all day or on the tables or on their side like dogs, and waited long enough, they could grab the occasional flake of gold dust, which would be more than anything else they'd get from begging. And because it was just gold flakes of uh, falling onto the ground, a kind of weird thing happened where they were allowed to stop, to just be there for a while. It just kind of became accepted. I don't really understand that part of the story, and I don't want to be culturally chauvinistic. 
But what it ends with is, if you have a bunch of children on the ground, crawling on the ground, reaching out uh, for anything shiny, and a bunch of people walking around trying to make a bunch of money, what you end up with is a bunch of children getting their hands stepped on. And that's just the price of doing business in the market. You knew if you were going there, there's a pretty good chance you're going to step on a kid. And a kid knew if they were going there to beg, there's a pretty good chance they'd get stepped on. And everybody just said, hi, Sam, and hi, Ralph, on their way in and their way out. And the reason why this person talked about this is, of course, not only was this supposed to be a society of strict religious uh, upbringing and understanding. <laughs> so he's trying to talk about it from that perspective. But he also brings it on the value and the nature of what it is to pay attention to something and to give it all that attention. Uh, it's very hard for children to do that, and yet these children are very focused. It's very, very easy for adults to give attention, and yet the adults were not. But the story isn't one about how this horrible thing just kept on existing. As technology improved, as counting methods improved, as conditions improved, of course, so did the lives of the children in the village. And so did everybody else. Because not only did not dropping the gold flakes of dust onto the ground stop making the kids come in and beg for it, but it also gave them something else to focus on was his entire point. Now, is this overly simplistic? Absolutely. Did I take a life lesson from it anyway? Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> Allowing people to drop gold flakes where people are getting hurt isn't good. And coming up with a system in which there was no gold flake being dropped, so no one would be tempted to do so, actually probably ended up a lot better for a lot of people. So the whole point of the diamond cutter is come up with a better system. His belief is that religious understanding, yada yada, that's a better system. But it doesn't really matter. The purpose that I took from it was, you know, you have to... Life is suffering. Buddhists bring this one up a lot because you can't really move past. Hey, so we're going to solve some problems. Uh, to solve some problems, we're going to hurt a lot of people. But we can't spend time debating that because we... <laughs> you just gotta, gotta, that's kind of our 101, you know? You gotta rake some eggs. Uh, eggs will be broken, I guess, would be the better way to say it. And... <laughs> uh, I know it's a pretty heavy subject. Um, all, all the subjects sometimes I can bring up are pretty heavy. But again, looking through the news and trying to fish out the little fun tidbits feels a lot like being one of these fucking kids on the goddamn dirt. <laughs> There's not a lot of gold falling on the ground. For those of you who listen to the main show, I, I kind of feel like MDMA in the champagne is about as good as it fucking gets. Like, even the fun ones. There's no even fun ones. Like, for a while there, when you saw a Kardashian headline, it was kind of fun, you know? Because it would be like, Kylie claims she's a billionaire, but clearly cannot count, or something like that. It'd be like, that's kind of fun. That's kind of interesting. Like, of course she claims she's a billionaire. She doesn't know how many zeros are in it. 
<laughs> Honey, you're missing two. <laughs> but then I saw, and I mean, I'm really not trying to be proletariat or, or like left a sinner. You know that I am. You, you have enough political debates and shit in your life. But like, what do you want me to do when I'm just trying to flip through the quote unquote fun news and I see Kardashian says nobody wants to work anymore? What the actual, like, that's actually, like, almost a little bit enraging. <laughs> I actually crossed my arms a little bit on that one. I was like, excuse me, ma'am. Ma'am. <laughs> I, I ask you the same question I always wanted to ask you, Hefner. And what exactly do you do? What is your purpose in the organization? I appreciate that it's a function. What's your role? <laughs> the whole thing could just be working without you, couldn't it? <laughs> uh, somebody said she made a sex tape. Yeah, so did Paris Hilton. If she comes out and says nobody wants to work, I swear to Christ, I might actually start getting upset too. I mean, I didn't, I didn't get that in. I read that Elon Musk and his wife have brought in a second secret child to the world. And that just goes to show you that even if you're rich and powerful, if people make enough fun of your kid's name, you get sensitive about it and you'll hide it. I actually... I'm so curious why they decided to go the secret route with Kid 2, because they went with the hyper-public route with Kid 1. And so I'm really, like, from just a psychological, like, ooh, you're not allowed to do that kind of test in real life, but I'm curious how it turns out. I am, like, how the kids, like, turn out. I mean, these are kids 6 and 7 for him, so... <laughs> there, is, there is a theory that the more, the more kids a man makes, you know... <laughs> There's, there's, there's some real, some interesting things that come down the line. If it's a boy, he'll be seventh boys. And you know what that means? If he has seven boys, then that musk will be a wizard. Yeah. Hmm. Very exciting. <laughs> so I saw that musk and grimes... We're, rec we're, we're talking about having their second secret baby. And I saw this in an interview that did not have the headline, Musk and Grimes reveal their second secret baby. Why? Because that was not the lead. What? What? Musk and Grimes, who had the most ridiculously named child of all time, I'm saying even worse than Moon Unit Zappa. That's right. Worse than Moon Unit Zappa. That's right. Worse than Moon Unit Zappa. <laughs> Finally, the title was taken. Gilles Musk. Jachitshapa Musk. Musk is absolutely the worst name ever made. So what's the name of the other kid? Don't know. Didn't read. Skipped past it. Had to read the other part, because I just happen to know that Grimes comes from money. Uh... I, I happen to know that from a previous life, that her, that her parents are pretty well off. 
uh, the headline of the article and the part that I had to lean in with laser focus because I could not believe that I was being gaslit to the amount that I was actually being gaslit by this fucking woman. Like, I kind of felt sorry for her a little bit before this interview, but literally all of that sympathy is gone. She is now, uh, I think, a savvy actor in his whole shtick. She says that her and Musk live in poverty. They live in a $40,000 house, and they wear T-shirts, and they live below the poverty line. She said this on a private jet. <laughs> now, hold on. She said this on a private jet that recently a teenage boy had been tracking through public information and software, and Musk offered $5,000 to stop tracking him. So when you think about how $5,000 is one-eighth of your yearly budget, ooh, that's very important to Elon Musk. <laughs> He's the richest man in the world, and she's actually saying this to us. Like, we don't actually know all this. I... I, like he hasn't talked about it previously. I, I, uh, that's, I mean, you know, even like the Carnegies and shit, I don't think they ever gaslit to that. I don't think the Carnegies ever said, no, 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 I, 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 I turn out their pockets and shit. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Could you imagine the head of like an oil or a railroad company or somewhere back then? Gilded Age, <laughs> being in their suit and everything, and you know who they are, the Carnegie, Rockefeller, they're that big of a name, and, and then, like, their second wife talking about their eighth child and some fucking tabloids just all like, oh, we're quite poor, we had grapefruit for breakfast. I, I, <laughs> I, so there you go. Someday someone's going to find out the name of that secret baby but it's not going to be me. Did anybody... Does anybody know if Blanket Jackson turned out okay before I get into it for the night? Does anybody know if Blanket... Because <laughs> if Blanket turned out okay, then the rest of them can turn out okay, right? This blanket was dangled. There was a rumor. This is a rumor. But I gotta say, a part of me believes it. Back when Blanket was quite young, they got sick or sickly or something like that. And then uh, Michael Jackson, in front of them, had uh, people come in and just, like, destroy all their toys. Like, take them all out and they were never seen again or anything because they were getting rid of all the germs or some shit. Like, they were from, like, a tuberculosis period or something. And I just think about how that would be, like, crazy. His name is BG? <sighs> I'm sorry, but if you're given the name Blanket and you don't choose to call yourself Blanky in this life, I feel that you've made a mistake. 
You're the one person who can unironically ask to be called blanky. <laughs> Call me blanky. Do I have to? Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> Don't you want to curl up with a blanky? <laughs> you got to own it. <clears throat> no introduction required. I don't need to know your name, nor you mine. I'm here to bind your naked wrist together behind your back slender shoulders, skin spilling over rope. Watch your bare chest hitch, shallow breaths restricted by my tension. Careful to avoid your breasts, cross the pattern along ribs, observing the bruises along your neck as I move your hair out of the way. I am busy working, observing patches of blue and black on your sides and stomach where he had his way with you. And I feel a pang of envy somewhere deep in my stomach because I wish anyone would want me in the way he wants you. But I'm here to learn how to fold string, create red patterns on your soft skin, hoping someday someone will want me to be bound the way you are now. Mine. For more than just an hour. <clears throat> Mine by Ark. A-R-K-E. <laughs> Looks like we're going for some interesting stuff tonight. <clears throat> if by real you mean as real as shark tooth stuck in your heel, the wetness of a finished lollipop stick, the surprise of a thumbtack in your purse, then, yes, every last page is true. Every nuance, every bit, and bite. Wait, I have made them all up. All of them. When I say I am married, it means I married all of them. A whole neighborhood of past loves. Can you imagine the number of bouquets? How many slices of cake? Even now, my husband's plan a great meal for us. One chops up parsley, one stirs a bubbling pot on the stove, one changes the baby, and one sleeps in a fat chair. One flips through the newspaper, another whistles while he shaves in the shower. And every single one of them wonders when I am coming home. Are all the breakups in your poems real? by Amy, oh no, I'm going to go with Nez, Nezukum Zemukatamatil, <laughs> Zahukum Zamat, woof, Zahukum Atatil, sorry, sorry, I'm definitely murdering that, yikes, <laughs> it sounds like I'm doing a joke, but I'm not, it's six syllables long, and I'm not nailing it. Okay. 
You stand at the counter, pouring boiling water over the French roast. Hey, Allie, I found a poem for you. You stand at the counter, pouring boiling water over the French roast, oily perfume rising in smoke. And when I enter, you don't look up. You're hurrying to pack your lunch, snapping the lids on the little plastic boxes while you call your mother to tell her you'll take her to the doctor. I can't see a trace of the little slice of heaven we slipped into last night. A silk kimono floating satin pawns on copper cord. Stars falling in the water. Didn't we shoulder our way through the cleft in the rock of the everyday to tear up the grass? in this pasture of pleasure. If the soul isn't a separate vessel, we carry from form to form, but more like Aristotle's breath of light, the work of the body that keeps it whole than last night, darling. Our souls were busy. But this morning, I would like your wearing a big wig disguised, disguised, so I wouldn't recognize you. Or maybe you won't know yourself as the animal burned down to pure desire. I don't know how you do it. I want to throw myself onto this kitchen tile and bare my throat. I want to slick back my hair and tap dance up the wall. I want to do it all over and over again, dive back into that brawl, that raw and radiant free-for-all. But you are scribbling a shopping list because the kids are coming home for the weekend and you're going to make your special crab cakes and that have ruined me for all other crab cakes forever. The Morning After by Ellen Bass, or Bass. When I wake up earlier than you, and you turn to face me, face on the pillow and hair spread around, I take a chance and stare at you, amazed in love, and afraid that you might open your eyes and have the daylight scared out of you. But maybe with the daylights gone, you'd see how much my chest and head implode for you, their voices trapped inside like unborn children, fearing they will never see the light of day. The opening in the wall now dimly glows, its rainy blue eyes and gray. I tie my shoes to go downstairs to put coffee on. Glow! By Ron Paget, P-A-D-G-E-T-T. Uh, <clears throat> I, I'm sorry, whoever suggested that. Don't think I... I didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> just, just as a man, two allusions to don't be afraid while you're sleeping in such a short poem is pretty interesting. Like, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's saying, like, you're more beautiful than I am and that kind of thing. But, like, <laughs> just, just, just the way it came across was a little... I don't know. She's sleeping next to you, dude. She's comfy. You're good. Chill out. When are dreams and reality ever to meet? 
my basking in your presence, running my hands over your body, touching your soft spots, enjoying your presence, you lying in my arms, renewing our vows, that you and I together enjoying, emerging as one. You and I together, Heather Burns. Hmm. <clears throat> well, all right. I'm told this is a poem. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know... Mm, have we done this one like a billion times? Let's see. Let's, let's see how familiar this is. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for, and if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing. It doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you're willing. I know we've done this one a billion times. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just know that we have. <laughs> I can just, I can just feel it. He gets and gets and gets and he doesn't know what interests him. And at the end, you know what he does? Her sister. It's a real plot twist. No, not really, but we've done it before. Okay. <clears throat> he falstaffs him. He's actually written that same letter to every woman in town. That's how Mormonism started. I am always hungry, wanting to have sex. You girls are so horny this week. This is a fact. If you get right down to it, the new unprocessed peanut butter is no damn good, and you should buy it in a jar and always in the largest supermarket you know. And I am the enemy of change, as you know. All the things I embrace as new are, in fact, old things re-released swimming in the sensation of being dirty in body and mind. Summer as a time to do nothing and make no money. Prayer as a last resort, pleasure as a means, and then as a means again with no end in sight. I am absolutely in opposition to all kinds of goals. I have no desire to know where this is. Anything is getting to me. When the water boils, I get a cup of tea. Accidentally, I read all the works of Proust. It was summer. I was there. So was he. I write because I would like to be used for years. Years after my death, not only my body will be compost, but the thoughts I left during my life... During my life, I was a woman with hazel eyes. Out the window is a crooked silo. Parts of your body I think of as stripes, which have learned to love along. We swim naked in ponds, and I write to behind your back. My thoughts about you are not exactly forbidden, but exalted, because they are useless, not intended to get you because I have you, and you love me. It's more like a playground where I play with my reflections of you until you come back and into the real you I get to sink my teeth in. With you I know how to relax 
and so I work behind your back, which is lovely. Nature is out of control, you tell me, and what's so good about it? I am moderately in love with you, knocked out by all your new white hair. Why shouldn't something I have always known to be the very best there is? I love you from my childhood, staring back there, when one day was just like the rest, random growth and breezes, constant love, a sandwich in the middle of day, a tiny step in vastly conventional path of the sun. I squint, I wink, I take the ride. <clears throat> peanut butter. Peanut butter by Eileen Miles, M-Y-L-E-S. Okay. <sighs> when I wake in the morning, you are waiting for me, sat in the yard, still as a tree stump, only your eyes and nostrils moving. And the wind in your fur and the rushing shadow of leaves crashing over your curve, a green sea of waves on shingle combing your sandy flanks, your reddish back. After a pause, sure, you are watched, you stretch out into a living leaf and plunge into the pool of long, cool grass. This is the reason I won't cut the lawn to see you, only ears above water, then arcing over like a dolphin saluting the sun, playing in the wake of the house as it sails beyond, for sheer pleasure of throwing yourself up. I want to invite you in, or to stay not to go away, but you are a wild thing. All I can do is believe you will keep on being the warm, vaulting life reveled round mine, although I may never hold you. Well, that one was just so sweet. It's called Rabbit in the Morning by Polly Atkin. Aww. I also had an outside squirrel friend, and every single day we had breakfast, I said the exact same thing, thinking I was so clever to my squirrel friend who ran up to sit on my ankle. I would say to them every day, squirrel friend's better than girlfriend. Damn right. Because <clears throat> I really wanted a girlfriend at that period. I was very, very insecure. <clears throat> but at least I had a squirrel friend. <clears throat> I had a squirrel friend. I had dog friends. I had cat friends. Just doodling my ass off. I had a crow enemy. You know, I was really living life. <sighs> Every night we couldn't sleep. 
Our upstairs neighbors had to keep dropping something down the hall, a barbell or a bowling ball, and from the window by the bed echoing inside my head, alley cats expanded breath in arias of love and death. Dawn again across the street, jackhammers begin to beat like hangovers from when you frown that Welbit house. Why tear it down? Noon, the radiator grill groaned and gave off a lesser chill so that we could take off our coats and the pipes coughed to clear their throats. Our nerves were frayed like raveled sleeves. We cherished each other's minor griefs to keep them warm until the night when it was time again to fight. But when we were young, we did not need much to make us laugh instead and touch and could not hear ourselves above the arias of death and love. Recitative by A. E. Stallings And our last poem of the night. You are the bread and the knife, the crystal goblet and the wine. You are the dew in the morning grass and the burning wheel of the sun. You are the white apron of the baker and the marsh birds suddenly in flight. However, you are not the wind in the orchard, the plums on the counter, or the house of cards. And you are certainly not the pine-scented air. There is just no way that you are the pine-scented air. It is possible that you are the fish under the bridge, maybe even the pigeon of the general's head, but you are not even close to being the field of cornflowers at dusk. And a quick look in the mirror will show that you are neither the boots in the corner nor the boat asleep in its house. It might interest you to know, speaking of the plentiful imagery of the world, that I am the sound of the rain on the roof. I also happen to be the shooting star and the evening paper blowing down the alley and the basket of chestnuts on your kitchen table. I'm also the moon in the trees and the blind woman's teacup, but don't worry. I'm not the bread and the knife. You are still the bread and the knife. You will always be the bread and the knife. Not to mention the crystal goblet and somehow the wine. <laughs> Litany by Billy Collins. Billy Collins, that name sounds familiar. <clears throat> Daddy's gonna talk about hard shit Just one fucking minute If you can't fucking handle it I understand, I understand, I understand. Tiffany, uh, it was called Litany, L-I-T-A-N-Y Because it was a long list. It was a litany of things that you were or were not. So, uh, people have been saying that things are... I did Billy Collins last night. Okay, I must like it. Uh, 
I, I, people have been saying to me some pretty hard things and some pretty struggling things, and I want to make it as, as fun and as light as possible. <laughs> so, here's all I've got. But like, I can't, I can't ignore what's being said to me or what I'm seeing in the server or what I'm seeing in my fan base or all the rest, especially as I'm trying to come back to life and find my rigmarole. So one thing that I happened to read quite a bit over the last year is if you're having trouble feeling anything good, a big trick apparently from a whole group of people out there is just to feel anything at all, is to feel connected to anything at all. And I can actually cite a study that I've known all of my life uh, that does actually point towards this being true, no matter how insignificant the quote-unquote thing is. It's the caring about it that makes the difference. They went into uh, psych wards, and they found various populations, and they gave some of them plants. Gave them little house plants that weren't very hard to keep alive, little succulents and cacti, and little mossy mosses and what have you. Fairly easy to keep alive plants. Here's the thing. Some of them died anyway, that just happens and what have you, and yet the healthcare outcomes, and the mental health outcomes especially, of the people who were given the plant to care for themselves, really improved. Didn't work for the other group. Well, so they tried again with a little bit more control. Now, the psych ward inmates have access to the plants but no control. Ah, they're all kept in a terrarium or behind the administrator's desk, and they're all allowed to see their plant for a little bit every day. Does that have the same effect on healthcare outcomes? Absolutely not. The control, the caring for it, the coddling it around, the thinking about it, the being responsible for it, that is largely believed to be contributed to it. And, uh, so I have known that for a long time. That's about as minor a stake as you can get. It's about as small of human stakes as... as when it comes to planning, as possible. One other study that I can talk about is they found people where, if you've ever seen the movie Memento, that's a real condition. People really can stop making new memories. And there's actually a nursing home, there's many of them, that specializes in people that don't uh, uh, make new memories and also advanced dementia and what have you, because obviously, uh, you know, that's a pretty specific work schedule. You're introducing yourself uh, to, your, to your clients every day and what have you, you know? Hello, yes, hi, yes, I know, we've met. No, your name's Frankie Muniz. That's a callback, baby. That's a, what's going to make people squint and cry. <laughs> it's a specific kind of skill set, and so, of course, trying to get that brain trust and that, uh, that, that operational knowledge, that institutional knowledge up and running uh, for us. This is done by a psychologist, a psychologist who studies uh, the witchcraft nonsense doesn't make any sense. Just ask anybody who actually is a psychologist uh, called positive psychology that doesn't exist and will never make anything good, no matter how many contributions it keeps fucking sending up. So he was a positive psychologist, and uh, he did a study where he got five posters of beautiful, 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 beautiful paintings. Uh, and they were large uh, posters, and these were people that could not make any new memories. That's the only people he tested with this one. And he would show them the five posters, and he would say, you won one in a raffle. 
which one do you want? Any of the five you want? And they would go, okay, well, I, I, I want that one. And you go, all right, you know, just, just sure. And that's the one you're going to get. Hey, just out of curiosity, the other two through five, how are you going to list them, huh? Which is your favorite? Which is your first favorite, your second, your third, your fourth, your fifth? And he would get that information. He would then leave the room. This is where it's fun because he's paid to do this. He's a scientist. If I do something like this, I get locked up and the rest of you throw, you know, tomatoes at me or what have you. But he, you know, he, he's like, well, I want to torture old people and I want to be paid for it. I want people to clap. How do I do that? And, and so, for some reason, his, when I said that to my high school counselor, they didn't say, well, just get involved in science. Have you considered, have you considered politics? But, you know, this person did, so he, he got to be able to do that. And so he, he's like, okay, now I get to fuck with him. <laughs> I get to fuck with the brain-damaged people. And he would go back into the same room where they have sel selected their favorite th poster. And he'd go, hey, you just won. You just won this raffle. Which of these five posters do you want? And they would often choose the same first one. And he'd go, well, we're out of it. You know, get to have it. Uh-uh. You chose wrong. You want number two? Maybe like, sure. I'll take number two. Why not? He'd leave the room again. He'd come back in. And this time, he wouldn't, he would say, hey, you just want to, again, I think it's fucking hilarious, but nobody else does. But I, my girlfriend stared at me with an open jaw when I've talked about this one. I think it's amazing that he walked back in the room and goes, hey, you just want to raffle to the same asshole the third time. And he would pull out the five posters and uh, magically, Amazing. These are people who cannot make new memories, did not realize they had just talked to the same guy, heard the same story three times, bought it all three times, no issues. What happens when he told them that their first choice wasn't available and they had to go with choice number two after they'd chosen, after they made the acceptance? Here, I want you to rate these five posters, one through five. Which do you like? Almost every single time, choice number two became choice number one. Suddenly, the one that they were forced to accept and choose, even though they could not make a memory why, became the first. And first became number two, or lower down on the list. Ah, so choosing has some kind of biological, neurological power. I've been thinking about this. The other thing I wanted to talk about just because it really did seem to help me when people are thinking about their pain and suffering is, and I know that this is kind of mean, but nobody cares. Now, this, now hold on, that can be really, that can sound really mean, but don't, don't, don't take it that way. I just, before we go any further forward, like the Buddha say life is suffering, so you're like, yeah, I know. And there's a, there's a lamb whose entrails are getting eaten by a wolf right now. Life sucks, what's your point? You just got to accept it. Just real quick, before Daddy gives you any more medicine today, we just have to accept, nobody ever fucking cared. Nobody did. Nobody ever will. Whole thing. And, and, that's fine. At least that's what Daddy thinks right at this particular moment. And the reason, that, or the way that he wants you to look at this, if you listen to the podcast especially, uh, uh, sometime down the road, and you're having feelings about your pain and your suffering and what you've been through and how the world doesn't hear you. It really doesn't. I'm sorry to say. 
and the painting that really, really, really over the last year or so helped me come to terms with that is named uh, Icarus. Landscape with the Fall of Icarus. And it's a beautiful, beautiful pavis, and I ask you to look at it. And its title is very, very interesting. Because that's obviously not what you see when you first look at the painting. But if you do for a while, then suddenly why it's called Icarus makes sense, comes into full view. And I'll allow you your own interpretation of what this all means, but just as I hear some suffering out there, and just as I'm trying to acknowledge it, it's always been this way, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> People will continue to blame it on social media, but Sean Hannity, or I have no idea anymore. But a horrible tragedy happening to somebody meant everybody else was just going on with their day. And emotionally right now, that is exhausting. It is exhausting to have pain and grievance in your day-to-day -day life, to have burden, extra burden, and to not feel heard. Unfortunately, I'm telling you that that's true for all of us. And all of us have driven by some car accident. All of us didn't say something when we knew a friend was getting chewed out. All of us, all of us, all of us. Many times, and I'm sorry for that, but I just want to say that your pain is meaningful. That just because the world is going to keep going on in all the directions that it was before, all of this pain happened for you. Doesn't mean it's not real. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't acknowledge it. Doesn't mean that you can't feel it. It doesn't mean that you're not going to go about the rest of your life, too. That's the other part of it. All the life keeps going on. Nobody hears your pain. Not really. I'm sorry to say. Joseph Conrad, I've always believed it. We've, we, we live as we dream alone. But if you can come to terms with your pain, if you can come to terms with what you're feeling, I encourage you to do so, to have that conversation and to remember, no matter how much you're splashing around right there, no matter how big of a crash you made, no matter how spectacular of a sight it must have been, Ship's still going to keep sailing. Farmer's still going to keep plowing. They got, their, they got their pain and their plans too. So that's how it's all going to go through. Yeah, so here's hoping that staring at Icarus does anything good for you. And if it doesn't, obviously not. Obviously that's just something for me. No, I don't believe that. I'm, I've seen too many old movies now where people are staring at paintings and cameras and the music and some music comes up and oh no I understand everything now you know like uh you know like Cameron and, uh, Ferris Bueller <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> I understand my relationship with my father Okay, let's read you some love letters. You've been some lovely girls. My only sweet and dear child.
notwithstanding of your desiring me not to write you yesterday, yet I had written in the evening if, at my coming out at the park, such a drowsiness had not come upon me as I was forced to set and sleep in my chair half an hour. And yet I cannot content myself without sending you this present, praying God that I may have a joyful and comfortable meeting with you, that we may make at this Christmas a new marriage, ever to be kept hereafter. For God so love me, as I desire only to live in this world for your sake, and that I rather live banished in any part of the earth with you than live a sorrowful widow's life without you. And so, God bless you, my sweet child, and grant that ye may never be a comfort to your dear husband. Love Letter from King James I to George Villers <laughs> George Villers? Huh. Am I finding out something about King James? Because <laughs> I'm finding out something either about the name George or about King James I. I don't know which it is. I cannot exist without you. I am forgetful of everything but seeing you again. My life seems to stop there. I see no further you have absorbed me. I have a sensation at the present moment as though I were dissolving. I have been astonished that men could die martyrs for religion. I have shuddered at it. I shudder no more. I could be martyred for any religion. Love is my religion. I could die for that. I could die for you. No creed is love, and you are its only tenet. You have ravished me away by a power I cannot resist. Letter from Jonathan Keats to Fanny Braun. I will cover you with love when next I see you, with caresses, with ecstasy. I want to gorge you with all the joys of the flesh, so that you faint and die. I want you to be amazed by me, and to confess to yourself that you've never dreamed of such transports. When you are old, I want you to recall those few hours. I want your dry bones to quiver with joy when you think of me. Love Letter from Gustave Flaubert to Louise Collet. Oh, that was kind of hot. <laughs> Those randy old French guys. All right, speaking of the hottest thing that anyone's ever heard in their entire life, we're about halfway through the story at this point, and the way that it's going... 
like Zoltan's gonna be like the king of the werewolf nation or something. Like like things are like he's asked her out on her first date and then he's fi- and then we find out that like she's a queen and like he's got a society, so you know, we're getting up there. Uh you heard me saying about all the food and the booze. Tip me. Especially if you laughed. If you're like listening to the video games and especially if if you laughed at the idea of a green chili fart. Just real quick before I, you know, now that we're done with the sexy, sexy and the fun and all that. If you're like, Jack, what's the difference between a green chili fart and a normal chili fart? And I was just like, oh, you novice. You silly, you silly little waif. You summer child. You really don't know the difference between a normal chili fart and a green chili fart. Pathetic. Truth of the matter is, there's a couple of foods. They're all fruits, as far as I know that fighter pilots are willing to eat when they're willing to train. Did you know this? This is actually true. Fighter pilots often will only eat a fairly restricted diet, often including things like bananas and green chili. Is this because these are incredibly super nutritious foods with all the potassium, vitamin C, and what have you? No, I'm afraid not. Is it because they discovered that they help you fly in the air? Uh, Like these foods do actually help you play the violin better. So do they help you pilot aircraft or stay alive longer? The answer is no, they don't. Why do new pilots eat these foods then? And the answer is because they taste the same coming up as they do going down. Ah, yes. Yes. Suddenly it makes a lot more sense. There are some foods that you have experienced that you know you don't ever want to taste that again. Nobody ever eats a hot dog, especially if it comes from a less than stellar location, and says, I want to see any part of that hot dog again. You might want a nitrogen burp to pop up and tell you that it's died or is at least decaying slowly, like an eldritch beast in your gastrointestinal stomach, <laughs> GI tract. But you don't ever want to see a hot dog again once is enough. It's like that one sad dick that you gave a you know nice little hand job to, because, you know, the guy was okay, but it definitely wasn't going to go anywhere else. You don't ever need to see that dick again. You got through that night. You did what you had to. Same with a hot dog. But with the banana and the green chili, (laughs) I don't know if they so much get eaten so much as they reach some kind of section in your stomach and they just go, and they just kind of dissolve. They just kind of meld with your tract and they just kind of become like a sludge. And then they just move through as the same sludge as they were before, just fine with it. All the other foods getting all fucked up and hacked and destroyed by your stomach acids. Ah! Ah! All the stories about hell are true! Ah! Banana and everything just moving through. And for those who don't know, for whatever reason, green chili, you can't, you can't destroy it. You can only turn it into gas. It keeps all its exact same form like a goddamn superhero. You know, like the Sandman and Spider-Man, Thomas Hayden Church. It's kind of like that. Yeah, you can destroy its base form, but it's not like you haven't destroyed it. It's just going to reform. And so, yeah, you destroy the f- base chemicals of the green chili. But the gas is just still moving in the exact same direction and trajectory. It's not going to change anything. So it comes out of your ass smelling the exact 
brilliant, delicious same as it went down, as it arrived at your front door if you ordered from a place out. You smell it, and it smells just as good as when you're like, mm. and this is how daddy got trapped. This is how daddy got trapped like those rats that they used to put in cages with infinite crack if they would just press the button over and over again. Because I was eating the burritos and I was enjoying it and I was having it. I was really having a good time. And then, you know, a day or two later, green chili fought and I'm like, you know, a second round actually doesn't sound so bad now that I'm thinking about it. Like, you know, it's, a, you know, I don't know what to say, but you know, I don't you know, you know, it has been about 36 hours since, I, uh, since I've had a burrito. So, you know, in a, in a way, in a way, yeah, makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and all of this just creeping to the door to get the food, creeping back to my little fucking thing, sitting down, and then, ha, oh, oh. <laughs> So, support it. <clears throat> Chapter 8. Insane Imagination. I sat as the teacher spoke on and on about a certain equation. <laughs> this fucking thing never, ever fucking disappoints with its introductory paragraphs. Every time there's something enjoyable. Every time. It's not that I'm a smartass. But I've gone all of this in my free time. I let out a sigh, silently. <laughs> I write worse than this every day. That's why this is so fun. Soon the classroom door opened and his presence caught my attention. What? A smile slapped its way on my face. Mr. Smith, you are late. Why? He simply kept quiet and looked down. All the girls watched and drooled over him, which seemed to spark a newfound anger in me. <laughs> there was a silent, sorry, there was an awkward silence until the teacher excused him. He made his way towards me, not uttering a word. He sat silent and pulled my chair with him, no sweat. I squeaked a little and looked down. My face began hearing up as I placed a tender as he placed a tender kiss on my cheek. Good morning, he said, and I slightly nodded. I missed you. His voice sent shivers down my spine. I felt a glare being thrown my way. I looked to see Andrea Green. Yeah, her name does not compliment her. She's meant to be Mother Nature kind, but she's a real evil witch. The bell... <laughs> the bell rang indicating class was over. I walked Pitt the classroom hand in hand with Zoltan. It all felt so new to me. But I himself felt nice. Zoltan excused himself to go to the bathroom. I stood by my locker. My head pounding, the room was spinning. I closed my eyes, trying to get my head right. I felt dizzy. I opened my eyes, only to see I wasn't in the school hallway. Here I stood. Darkness. Only darkness. 
except for the little flame of blue fire. You know, in the background, you hear me. Stop and getting closer and closer. <laughs> darkness and only darkness, except for a little flame of blue fire. And I don't know who I'm supposed to say this as, because there's no context clues or anything, so. Come to me. It kept saying that one time, but it want the flame and I knew it. It couldn't be. It can't be. I felt something touch my shoulder as I let out a little shriek and turned around abruptly. Only too seriously, a pair of gray-blue ice eyes. Zoltan stared at me with concern. His eyes looked worried. Tori? Are you okay? Is her fucking name Tori? Is her fucking name Tori? Oh, Victoria. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I thought they forgot the name of their own gal. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to ask if it's okay to call a Victoria Tori. Tori from Victoria, the only time that's acceptable is when Australians are talking mad shit about that one province. When the rest of them are just all like, Eh, going down to Tory, old posh fucking consign. <laughs> Victoria to Tory is a pretty strong fucking familiarity, Zoltan. I guess she is his queen, and he knows. All right. All right. All right. <clears throat> Too much commentary. <clears throat> We gotta get through more of this. This is amazing. Tori, are you okay? Is everything okay? His questions made his voice laced with worry. I shook my head a little and smiled at him. I'm fine. Why wouldn't I be? I asked him as he grabbed my books. Nothing. I just thought something was wrong. He said. I touched his face and then cupped his cheek. I'm fine. I reassured him. Ah, their first fight. A smile took over his face and he nodded. Let's head to class then. He said as I nodded. We walked down the hallway, but something was watching me, and I couldn't deny it. Walking into my house with only my shoes echoing, I let... <laughs> Just start the fucking chapter where it's supposed to start, goddamn you! I let out a sigh and made my way to the kitchen. I grabbed a soda from the fridge due to my way upstairs. I opened the door and sat on my bed. It's awfully quiet, I muttered out loud to myself, and it was true. It was lonely, and I was alone. <laughs> I, I turned to my side and faced my bedside table. On it sat a doll my parents gifted me on my seventh birthday, the time they actually showed affection. I picked it up and looked at it. I guess we're alone, aren't we? I said, as I smiled, I wish they were here. <laughs> I got up and walked to the bathroom. Taking a short shower, I called myself off. <laughs> ooh, ooh, that's more advanced than I thought we were going to get out of this sexually. I called myself off and jumped into my pajamas. I walked back into my room as I ruffled my hair with a towel. Okay, now I'm starting to wonder if this was actually written by a human being. Because don't isn't that just something that happens on movies? <laughs> I've never seen a woman actually like walk by me and ruffle her fucking hair with a towel. I've seen I've seen a lot of you do 
the weird, I'm going to pretend to become a magi with a bathroom towel for five fucking minutes thing. <laughs> All right. All right. <clears throat> I heard my name. I stopped and looked up. There was no one there. It must be my imagination. I shook my head and continued drawing my hair. <laughs> Startles, I looked around my room again. I walked to my bed and sat down. <laughs> there was no one here. I'm by myself. There's no one here at all. I felt something touch me as you screamed. I turned only to see my doll sitting on the bed, a smile embedded on his face. This cannot be an Annabelle scene. Were you speaking to me? I asked. Was I insane? Speaking to a doll? Annabelle is communicating to you. You, the doll, Victoria. Come to me. It said, the same voice I heard. The exact same voice was speaking to me. I picked up the doll and threw it out my window. I'm going insane. I'm getting crazy. <laughs> Those are just pink lyrics. I picked up my phone and dialed Zoltan number. Her phone rang. He picked up. Okay, now hold on. I'm going to spell out this word. And then you tell me how I'm supposed to say it. Here we go. <clears throat> A-F-T-E-R. After. B-T-G-E. B-S-E-X. I-B-D. B-R-I-B-G. After. Her phone rang, and after Begit to sect Brigbra, he picked up. After, after Begit sex. <laughs> oh, I'm so curious what that's supposed to be. The rest of them are fun because it's pretty clear what they are in context. Oh my god. All right, we gotta move on. What's up, Tori? <laughs> he asked me. He sounded like I had just woken him up. Did I wake you? Oh, after a second, he... Yes, Cheyenne, thank you. It's driving me up. After a second, after a second ring or some shit. Yes, yes. Ah, oh, that makes so much sense. After the second ring or something like that. Yeah, that's pretty close. Okay, okay, okay. My dyslexic ass was going insane. It was like, it just... Oh, I was just Russell crowing so hard. Beautiful minding. I had to know. Okay. <clears throat> Did I wake you? You asked, my voice almost a whisper. Yes, you did. <laughs> All right, Zoltan. Good for you, buddy. Is something the matter? He asked me. I just needed company. I couldn't tell him. He would think I was insane or crazy. And I can't have that. Not when someone finally cares about me. The last thing I want to do is scare them off. Oh, no! I want to be next to you right now, but I can't. Not yet. A smile crossed my face with a warm brush. 
I can't wait to be next to you. But you need your sleep, Mr. Alpha. Good night. I said as he replied before hanging up. I flopped on my bed as what just happened replayed in my mind. What was happening now? Okay, so this was written recently enough by somebody who was young enough to know what the movie Annabelle is with the fucking creepy doll. And there's not a single texting conversation, but all of them are phone calls. Something is bullshitty weird fucking wrong with this. Oh, I'm so excited. Chapter 9, Delusions. I hadn't had a wink of sleep, and I felt awfully tired. My eyes had dark eyes under them, and they felt heavy. I dragged across the school highway, hallway, my hair a bit messed up. I walked to my locker, opening it up. I pulled out my English textbook and walked to class. The sky was gray, and I looked as though it would rain. I sat in my usual spot and opened my textbook to see what we were doing today. The consequences of feeling scared. <laughs> I groaned as the words spinned around. What seemed to itch my mind was why, all of a sudden, why do I feel tired all of a sudden when I can go for two nights without any sleep? I let out a sigh and banged my head against the textbook. <laughs> now this is the most teenage this is the most teenage thing she's ever fucking said so far. I feel like almost every teenager goes through this period where they're just all like, no, I'm like, I'm like actually like an insomniac and like, I like don't have to sleep and then like I can't sleep and like, no motherfucker. No, you're not. <clears throat> I banged it again only to feel a warm hand on my forehead. I looked up to see his gray icy blue eyes, a smile plastered on his face. You wouldn't want to hurt that beautiful head of yours, he said, his voice once again sending shivers down my spine. <laughs> it's a trademark. He was soaked with water, dripping him now his upper body. Why are you wet? I questioned him. He looked at me confused. It was raining for a while now. What's wrong, Victoria? He questioned. There's no way it would be raining, and I wouldn't hear it. I abruptly turned around to come into view with the water falling from the sky. I groaned in frustration and banged my head against the books again. Zoltan, would it be weird if I told you I've been hearing things, seeing things? I asked the pause. Would you believe me? I asked him. <laughs> well, I like that she asked both the pause and him. <laughs> He looked at me, his eyes wide, his face confused, his eyebrows furrowed. Don't beat around the bush, Tori. What is it? He said, I'm having audio hallucinatory hallucinations. I just said. I've been seeing things. Or I've heard someone calling my name. Last night, the doll my parents had given me as a gift moved. I don't know what it is, but I think I'm losing my mind. I explained as I groaned, putting my head down on the table. Tori, what exactly is this person saying? He questioned me. You keep saying, come to me, I whispered to him. He looked shocked, almost worried. The bell rang, and slowly people raided, piling the class one after the other. Chairs screeched as students took their seats. The teacher walked in, 
and class commenced. Books were flipped open, pins clicked, but everything sounded blur all loud. I, that's, one, that's one of Blur's best songs. I put my hand over my ears and closed my eyes, waiting for the sound to quiet down. I opened my eyes to see myself in a forest. <laughs> you teleport, wherever you teleport, I'm going to be there, two-handed style. The trees swayed with the wind, the blue flew into the sky. The sky was blood red. I stood in a cliff. <laughs> Where are you? Are you in a forest or cliff? As I watched wolves charging at one another. <laughs> the wind blew against my skin as I felt a shiver go down my spine. I must have heard Zoltan's voice somewhere. But the man I had seen at the restaurant, the young man that stood outside, stood silently watching me yet again. He stared simply, not blinking, not looking eye contact. A smirk immediately took over his face as I felt I was falling. A loud splash echoed to make it see if I hit water and ocean. I tried swimming up, but I couldn't go up. I began losing my breath, as all I could see was the blue water surrounding me. I closed my eyes and let darkness consume me as my breathing became shallower and shallower. <laughs> I then abruptly opened my eyes, only to pant for air. Zoltan held my face up to him. I sat up immediately, looking around my surroundings. I sat as dry as a desert. You're not the only one, darling. Not a stain of blood on me. But everything else seemed so real. So true. <clears throat> Zon's eyes were dark in worry as he opened his mouth to speak. We need to get you to see the oracle. Something is not right. He advised in his deep voice, oracle. Soon I was lifted bridal style. <laughs> I was lifted bridal style as my hand went around his neck. I hadn't noticed the students that had gathered around me with worried eyes. Zoltan walked out of the classroom, heat radiating off his body, his chest heaving up and down, calming him down. What was that? <laughs> I just love the idea of a teacher watching someone officer and a gentleman a teenage girl out the fucking room and he doesn't even like oh hey uh hey uh um hey Z <laughs> okay but you can't <laughs> i just wanted to fucking teach physics <clears throat> <laughs> Zoltan had been carrying me <laughs> for the last 30 minutes. Yeah, boy. So the whole time in my head, I was imagining Deborah Winger and Richard Gere, officer and a gentleman, that whole final scene where his care, lonely where we belong. And that song's about three minutes long. So they could have played the whole song 10 minutes, like 10 times back to back with him carrying her the whole way through. No, 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 no,
<laughs> okay, all right, I'm sorry. I'm going to restart. Zoltan had been carrying me for the last 30 minutes, refusing to put me down. Conan. No, hold on. Cone in. I'm fine. I can walk. Why didn't you take your car? I asked as I wiggled, struggling to get out of his grip. <clears throat> yeah, I think Conan is supposed to be come on. Because I can't bring my car to the narrow and broad forest. There's no driving path. He's saving a point. <laughs> but you're going to get tired. I'm too heavy. I said to him, his eyebrows arched. So, you're saying I'm puny? Baby, let me tell you this. I'm not an alpha for nothing. Everything about me is big, which makes you a feather in my eyes. He said, cockily. I shook my head at him. But since I don't want you to worry and we're running out of time, I'm going to transform. I'm going to transform, and you're going to hop on my back. <laughs> I could try and write a What We Do in the Shadows spec script for the next year of my life, every single day, and I absolutely positively could not come up with an ironic, hilariously intended funny line as this person just came up with as, but since I don't want you to worry, I'm going to transform and you're going to hop on my back. Are you fucking kidding me? That's amazing. <laughs> and without warning, he slipped off his shirt, making my face heat up. I abruptly turned around. <laughs> <laughs> How could he be so comfortable doing this? Gosh! Soon as I heard bones cracking and a growl erupted, I turned to look at his fur. It wasn't all that black. It was midnight blue. It glowed and shined. His gray, icy blue eyes stared at me as he cooked his head, urging me to hop on his back. I picked up his clothes from the forest ground and hopped onto his back. I held onto his fur as he took off. The wind hit hard and I fit my face in his fur. I looked up slowly, watching the trees zoom by. It was stunning. He ran and ran and ran and ran, and it was as though there was no end to his ability. We're getting close to a cliff, but seemed to be going for it. A scream erupted from my chest as we were by the edge. My eyes were closed tight. I didn't want to see us falling. I felt a stop as I opened my eyes. We were nowhere near falling. We stood somewhere in a beautiful garden. Grabbing his clothes from my hand in his mouth, Zoltan went behind a tree coming out with a pair of shorts and no shirt. It was getting hot. Damn, girl. You scream like it's the end of the world. He chuckled as I pouted. Shut up, I said, playfully pushing him. We walked to the front door of the extravagant cottage. Zoltan knocked on the door, only for a person to look through the hole. Zoltan, the person said. Hi, Dane, he said. As the person soon opened the door, it looked to see no one there and only hear a voice down below. 
a short old man. The kind you'd see in a cartoon actually stood right in front of me. Is this the girl you mind linked me about? Is this the girl you mind linked me about? <clears throat> Is this the girl you mind linked me about? <laughs> so casual. <clears throat> yeah, it's her. My mate. Zoltan said, making my heart flutter. Dane looked me up and down. He seemed to disapprove. <laughs> There's something off about her. She's going to be your downfall. Damn, Dane, he said, my, my mouth fling open. Was he serious? Listen here, old man. You and your puny ass can say Heather shit you want, but don't try and cast a green eye over me. I finished, putting my tongue out. He chuckled, making me look at him in confusion. Old man, you say, he said, and speaks and begins to turn into a white light, almost like a Barbie movie. And before me, a young man stood. He was tall, absolutely handsome. He had gold blonde hair and the prettiest forest green eyes. Of course, I find Zoltan more attractive. What? I questioned, looking at Zoltan and then back at Dane. So, who's old now? He said, standing proud. The one thing I can't change is my larynx or vocal cords. <laughs> you are, you ancient man. Now please, we need your help. Zoltan said. Dane then turned serious, inviting us into his warm, cozy cottage. Do tell me, what's been going on? He asked, getting straight to business. <laughs> okay, one more. One more. The chapters are coming kind of fast and furious now. <clears throat> okay, all right, here we go. I took a step, breath looking him in the eyes. How would I explain this to him? He would think of me as insane. Dane put a cup of tea in front of me on the coffee table, thanking him. I began to fidget. So tell me, Zone <laughs> has been telling me something I can't quite understand. So perhaps you can explain it better, he encouraged. Okay, well, you see, I've been hearing things, a voice calling out to me. And for some reason now, it seems as though I know that voice. I know who it belongs to. Every time I try and remember, I can't. It's just this voice playing games with me. I've fallen drowned, seen things, dreamed of things. It's been in my doll. I can't sleep remembering it. I explained. Dane seemed to think for a moment. <clears throat> what has this voice been saying to you? He keeps saying, cone to me. Come to what? I don't even know who or what it is. <laughs> Dane nodded at my words and stood up. He cleared his throat. His eyes looked worried. You need to be extra careful. To predict something for you, Victoria, is beyond difficult. There is something off about you, and I fear with this you are going to do something to Zoltan, whether good or bad. I do not know, he explained. <clears throat> so he doesn't know the word downfall, apparently. <laughs> Zoltan looked at, at me, his eyes holding worry. Soon we left Dane's place, and we sat in his car, and we drove out of the forest. Now hold the fuck on. Now hold on. 
You're not, you're not gonna. <laughs> That's, that was why you would see the Oracle? Oh my God. That's a plot twist I would write. We have to go to the Oracle. They always know. And then they go to the Oracle and the Oracle's like, I have no clue. What the fuck is this? That's something I would write. So I have to give it to her. <laughs> Yeah, now the car can fit because he's tired of carrying her on his ass. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. The car's there and they drove out. All right, all right, all right. Girls <laughs> are making me laugh too much. God damn it. <laughs> Zoltan kept silent as the car rode into the streets. My heart beat rapidly as my palms began, began, began becoming sweaty. We pulled out up front of his extravagant house. <laughs> He unfastened his seatbelt. He then turned to me, but I was too afraid, too chicken to face him. He pulled out the key of the ignition. Victoria. He called out my name. Are you... are you going to reject me? I asked, my voice shaky. Could that be why he was so silent? He kept silent for a moment. This was it. I had my first boyfriend. My first mate on top of that, I really liked him. And because of a stupid mental issue I have, a stupid person making me look crazy. No, he said, but it wasn't reassuring. Then why are you so silent? I said, as the tears threatened to spill from my eyes. I don't know, he said, making the tears fall. But I know I won't reject you. I love you too much to do that to myself. <laughs> That's amazing. That's just so honest, you know. <laughs> this is her story. She's writing him as her perfect fantasy man. That's so much was just said there. So much was just said there. Oh, my God. <clears throat> he said as he wiped my tears away. You love me? I questioned him as he nodded abruptly. I did before I met you, and I loved you more after I met you. You're my lifeline, my mate. You're mine, and mine alone, he said, as he captured my lips into a heartwarming, overpowering kiss. My mind instantly went blank. My first kiss. My mates kissing me. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Zoltan pulled away from me and stared into my eyes with his vibrant gray icy blue eyes. It felt so much love, so much serenity, and for a moment my heart just knew he'd never hurt me for nothing. Nothing. And now if something was up, if he ever did. <laughs> he pulled me into his embrace, and the shocks ran through my body. My mate was protecting me, and I he made me feel loved. Never. Let rejection ever cross your mind, because I'd never give up what I love most for anything in this world, ever. 
he promised. And that promise etched its way into my heart. Oh my God, chapter 11 is complete. Join us next week for chapter 12, Mr. and Miss Smith, part one. That's right. They just had their first kiss. Now comes the wedding bells. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're moving right on in. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you very much for everybody who came out. Everybody who requested a poem. Everybody who uh, sent in a tip. Everybody who uh, requested a love letter. Everybody who's been having fun. Uh, it encouraged me to continue on with The Bad Boys Werewolf. We have like seven more chapters left, but they're coming pretty fast and furious, so we'll be finishing up in the next couple of weeks. Really been enjoying that one. Thank you uh, for indulging me. It's been fun uh, doing a little silly smut experiment, getting all the way through. I've, uh, I've really been enjoying it every Friday night. It's the last cold Friday night. Next week, next Friday, you should hear me coming on out. And I should not have to do any kind of stretching or relaxing. I'm coming to come here. We're going to do so many fucking things to read. We're going to go a little bit long. I'm already predicting. We're going to nail an extra chapter of this fucking goddamn story. Come on out. See you. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Hope you're enjoying everything else. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great rest of your week and weekend ahead of you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you.